everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me today is my homie, my friend, another fellow fan of a team that pulled out shocking victories last week. Biggie, aka Ethan Tate. How you doing today, man? I'm doing good. You know, it's been a it was a great week of sports. It was. We pulled out a big W. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great week. I mean, it was one of those rare weekends when all three of my football teams win at the same time. My Memphis Tigers won a hell of a game against Mississippi State. My LSU Tigers beat Central Michigan. And then my Ravens won. So last week was a good weekend for me, and hopefully this weekend will be the same because not only do I care about football, but also Extreme Rules is taking place tomorrow, which is actually the first pay-per-view I will be actually attending live. So hopefully it's good. And we'll have predictions. Uh, yep, my first time. Yeah, it's going to be in Columbus. I didn't know. Yeah, I'm excited. Of course, even though it's called Extreme Rules, it's only one Extreme Rules match. But that's neither here nor there. It should still be cool, though. It is very stupid. Like, that's like having Hell in a Cell, and then they didn't have any, like, actual Hell in a Cell matches till last minute, but I'm not surprised. But we'll get to my predictions for that later on. Without further ado, let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off talking some football. Uh, this week's college football player spotlight is on defensive end junior uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. While an injury um, has sidelined him for most of this season, when he is on the field, he's been considered the top edge rushing prospect of this draft class. Ethan, we've already seen it in this league that when you can rush the passer, you are going to get uh, great plays. And so that means a lot of teams are still looking at Thibodeau in that early first round. What team do you think should be pinpointing him? Um, I would say the New York Jets. Um, the reason I'm saying this is simply because they're a team that's in an obvious rebuild. And it's two, in my opinion, it's three positions that if you can hit in a draft, you can pretty much set up the future of your franchise. The first is obviously quarterback. The second, in my opinion, is defensive end, and the third is corner. So if you're able to, then I feel like the Jets, they're going to be in position to actually draft them because I don't see them getting that many wins this season. So if you're able to get a dynamic pass rusher, you can set up your franchise for the future, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, in this case, I'm going to go with another 0-2 team. But I'm going to say the Detroit Lions. So far this season, it's looking like Jared Goff is a solid piece there. Is he the future? Who knows? But right now, I don't think he's the biggest problem on that team. I would say it's easily their defense. And a big reason why their defense struggles is because they struggle to get pressure. And I think Kayvon Thibodeau would definitely be a good fit to that defensive front. I think that he has the energy that Dan Campbell would love. And I think that he will see a lot of production early. But we still got a long season. So who knows? But all right, let's take a look back at NFL's week two. Uh, last week, starting Thursday night football, Washington football team beat the Giants 30-29. to uh, Browns beat Texans 31-21, as we mentioned a bit ago. The Titans beat the Seahawks in overtime 33-30. to My Baltimore Ravens beat the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday night football, 36-35. Once again, Baltimore, I'm so sorry for not believing in you. I still love you. Uh, Denver Broncos beat Jags, 23-13. Buffalo Bills shut out uh, Miami Dolphins, 35 to nothing. Bears edge out Bengals, 20-17. 49ers beat Eagles, 17-11. 
Panthers beat Saints 26-7. Rams beat Colts 27-24. Raiders upset Steelers 26-17. Patriots beat Jets 25-6. Cardinals win on a whim against the Vikings 34-33. Bucks beat Falcons 48-25. Cowboys beat the Chargers 20-17. Monday Night Football, the Packers get back on track beating the Lions 35-17. We had a tie this week. I went 9-6, as did Ethan. Uh, just tell me your top three takeaways from this past week of action. My top three takeaways are, um, number one, I think this, as far as these first two games go, this is validation that the Jets are a terrible organization and that Sam Donald might actually be the quarterback that people assumed that he was going to be once he got drafted. Number two, I think this was this past Sunday. I think that was the vindication game for Lamar Jackson. I think heading into this season, a lot of it was a lot of question marks attached to his name, and the fact that he was able to beat Patrick Mahomes, the guy that he self-quoted as being his kryptonite, he beat him. And not only did he beat him, he beat him with the team that was depleted. It's not like he had his full, his full band of characters with him. He was short at running back. They didn't have Marcus Peters. And Lamar, when the game needed a key play, he made that play. So I think that's the game that's going to kind of, at least for the time being, silence some of his doubters. And number, number three, I got to throw some Titans in there, and I'm definitely going to say I think that once you get Derrick Henry going, it's an avalanche. And it just, no matter, I feel like he's the type of guy, as long as you can get a couple plays trained together, no matter how big of a lead with everyone else on the offense, I'm comfortable. I hate to say it, but I'm, I have faith that we can come back from any deficit almost, unless we're facing like a top, top tier defense. Yeah, I can see that, especially because, I mean, for most of the first half, Derrick Henry was him then. He was a non-factor. Like, Julio would get his plays, but that was really it. In the second half, you could tell the Seahawks' defense was getting tired, and that is the worst thing you can get when you go up against a running back like Derrick Henry because while your defense is getting tired, he's only getting better, and he's going to continue to destroy you, hence why Seattle lost that game. Uh, as usual, if you want to check out my takeaways day, of course, you can head on over to the thexreport.net. I give takeaways from every game. So you can always head over and look at that. But one takeaway that I will share right now is there were a lot of injuries this week, particularly at quarterback. But starting off uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the Broncos lose two important linebackers. First, Josie Jewell, who's going to be out for the season with the torn pec. Bradley Chubb made the first Pro Bowl last year. He's going to be out for the next six to eight weeks with an Angle, ankle injury. Uh, Bron Browns lose wide receiver Jarvis Landry for the next two to three weeks with the MCL sprain. Uh, defensive end Brandon Graham for the Eagles is out for the season with the torn ACL. Now let's run through some of these quarterbacks. Tyrod Taylor is out for at least the next four weeks with a hamstring injury. Big Ben is questionable to play this upcoming game with a torn with a pec injury. And Tua Tungavailoa is out for the foreseeable future at least the next three weeks with bruised ribs. So, Ethan, it's kind of taking me to that um, AFC East right now. Looking at what's going on with Tua, if you're Miami, what are you going to do? Ride it out with Jacoby Brissett, or are you looking to move on? Um, I think the best 
when he shows out, it's on one of those deep balls, and that's what happened against Pittsburgh. Um, and my rookie of the week, it's got to go with uh, Odafe Owe, Ravens off outside linebacker, who in just his second game was named the defensive player of the week in the AFC. I got to give apologies to this man because I'll be the first person to say when we first drafted him, I was not that happy about it. I wasn't feeling the pick, but now he's my best friend. So shout out to Odafe. Had a sack, had the quarterback hurry that led to Patrick Mahomes' interception, and most importantly, had the game-changing forced fumble and fumble recovery that helped us to seal the win. So Odafe, you my dog. Yeah, man, still agree with you. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name, but... I watched the game, and he made the biggest, in my opinion, he made the biggest rookie impact this past week. And he honestly forced, like, the softest fumble I ever seen. Yeah, that was, like, I was shocked the ball came out. I wasn't going to complain. But it was, like, I was watching, and I'm like, he didn't even hit the ball. How did the ball come out? So, I don't, I don't know. But he just, he just denied as far as rookies. Not mad at it at all. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news, starting with the NFL expanding Super Wild Card Weekend. Now, last year, with the um, decision to add another Wild Card team, that meant that Wild Card Weekend was getting bigger, but now it's getting an extra day. Um, it was announced a couple days ago that the NFL is changing the format to where now the sixth and final playoff game of the weekend will be held on Monday night rather than Sunday afternoon, meaning on Saturday it'll be two games, on uh, Sunday it'll be three games, and then on that Monday night it will be a game. What are your thoughts on the extra day? I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I love football, so extra football, I'm not mad at it. I will say if they do it, can they have the Manning do the broadcast? Please. I love the Manning broadcast. We're going to talk about the Manning broadcast because apparently Gronk got in trouble because of it. But we'll get to that in a minute. But, yeah, I think my only gripe would be what teams would be playing that last game just because I think that whoever they have to play, I'm sure they'd like time to be able to, like, prepare but other than that, I think it's a cool idea. Like you mentioned, you get an extra day of football, and I think that having the opportunity to, especially if they were to do the manage, I think there would be a really nice way to not only boost ratings for Monday Night Football, but also get more eyes on the product because what else are people really watching on Mondays if you're not a wrestling fan? Um, so let's go ahead and move on to a team that knows all about the playoffs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's no secret their secondary has gone through some bumps and bruises. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting. I want to say he's out for, if not the whole season, most of it with the gruesome ankle injury. And in my opinion, he was their best corner. And so it looked like they have been trying to find a way to replace him. And one of those players being Richard Sherman. Uh, Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians confirmed that the team has reached out to Sherman, but not much has been said uh, from his side. So... In your opinion, do you think it'd be a good idea for Richard Sherman and the Bucks to get together? I think it would be a good idea. I think it would be simply because, in my opinion, would it hurt if you add him to their roster? Like, if you keep it the same, I think your cornerback room isn't great. If you add Richard Sherman, I don't think it's great, but I think it's better. So why not attempt to make a move to help your team win more games? And also, like, the Buccaneers right now, they're the, in my opinion, they're the Lakers. Like, they have a bunch of older stars that can still 
why not add another veteran who's also a winner who's won a Super Bowl to that roster? I think it could be good for the rest of the players in the locker room also. And kind of going piggybacking off what you said, I mean, they have, like, veterans and, like, proven guys at every position, but their secondary. Their secondary is their youngest unit. I think that probably the oldest player who sees significant time in that secondary might be Carlton Davis is, I think, in his third year. Same for Jamel Dean. Their safeties, it might be um, – Oh my gosh, not not Antoine Winfield because this is just his second year, but the other safety whose name I cannot remember to save my life, but I'm gonna remember when I don't care. Other than that, they have a very young safety group, and I think that bringing in a player like Richard Sherman, who has seen everything, while he doesn't have the speed or the explosiveness that made him the man of ten years ago, I mean he still is a very good player, and I think that with the opportunity to be around younger guys, it may help elevate his play. And because he's a proven player, like you mentioned, he is a winner to play on a team like the Bucks that you know are going to win games I think that that will really help his morale and really be a big confidence boost for him speaking of a confidence boost it seems like Rams head coach Sean McVay has quite a lot of confidence in running back Sony Michelle they traded for him after it was announced that uh, Cam Akers was going to be out for the year with a torn ACL and while Daryl Henderson has been getting quite a bit of the carry so far Sony Michelle seems to begin his opportunity in week three uh, McVeigh said this ahead of the game. He said, we want to give Michelle as much time as possible. We want to give Henderson as much time as possible to get healthy. This is something that if the pain subsides, then we will be confident to be able to utilize him. But you can see this as a guy that's been here for big times games. I think Sony really ingrained himself. He did a nice job with that yesterday, and I was pleased for sure. So, uh, oh, I can't even talk. Looking at this Bucks game, I mean, the Bucks are a tough defense to run against in general. But what are you expecting from Sonny Michelle in this game if he does get RB1 touches? I don't think he's going to produce that great. Like you stated, the Bucks defense is really hard to run, run against as is. I see him probably having his, his best anywhere between 50 to 60 yards. Nothing too, like nothing too amazing, but he might make like a small impact. Yeah, I agree. I think that. If you want to beat the Bucks, you have to go for the jugular. You have to go for that secondary. And I think that the Rams definitely have the pieces to do that. While Sonny Michelle could probably make plays out the backfield on play action passes, realistically, I don't see him producing crazy big runs. But, I mean, if it was Daryl Henderson, I'd be saying the same thing, especially just considering who they're playing. But it'll be interesting to see how Sony, how Sony fits into this uh, group. All right, speaking of fitting in, it looks like Jamie Collins may have worn out his welcome in Detroit. Um, it was announced earlier this week and confirmed by Lions head coach Dan Campbell that the team is looking to trade the veteran linebacker. As we all know, Jamie Collins had his best years with New England, was a pass rush great player, did a lot of great things, but it seems like he has not had that same spark in Detroit. Ethan, what team do you think should pull the trigger on taking a trade for the vet? Okay. I wouldn't be I mean, I'm sorry, keep going. I was just gonna say, I mean you guys I think you guys need as much pass rush as you can possibly get, so why not throw a ball and see what you can get? Cause I feel like you're not you're not gonna have to give up that much to get them. I can 
see that. I'm going to say the Broncos, as we mentioned when we were going through some of the injuries, they're already losing two linebackers in Josie Jewell and Brand- Bradley Chubb. And I think that while Von Miller has had a really good start to this season, it can't just be Von Miller. You have to have somebody else to be able to produce. Vic Fangio has had a lot of experience being around veteran guys, and I think that Jamie Collins will be a nice fit in that defense and not to mention he can cover a little bit so that would be another nice boost as well but I think that he will be a nice fit in Denver if not Baltimore which I think would be another one all right one more piece before we go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery we're just one week before Tom Brady heads to Foxborough to play the Patriots for the first time after spending two decades with the team and Everybody seems to be excited about it, including uh, Tom Brady's personal trainer, Alex Guerrero, who talked about the relationship between uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and how things soured. He said, his emotions or feelings never evolved with age. I think in time, as Tom got into his late 30s and early 40s, Bill was still trying to treat him like that 20-year-old kid that he drafted. So... In your opinion, do you think that that really was a dividing factor between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, or do you feel like there were more elements at play? I think that definitely played a part in doing it. It's true, simply because it's like as you get older with age, when you assume or you or you notice that people treat you the way that you they treat you like the way that you were when you were. Uh, younger man, it's it's annoying. Like I'm, I turned 28 this year, and if people in my family still treated me like I'm 21, I would feel some type of way. And especially when you're a quarterback with the stature of Tom Brady, like this man is, I'm going to exclude the Brock on the Buccaneers Super Bowl, but at the time this man was the six-time Super Bowl champion, arguably. In a lot of people's minds, the greatest quarterback of all time. If this man is in his 30s and 40s, if it's true, why are you treating him like a 20 year old? Like, he, Tom Brady could have retired last season before he won a Super Bowl, and he would be the first ballot Hall of Famer. Why are you treating the first ballot Hall of Famer like he's just some kid, if it's true? So I definitely think that might have played a role in it. I think in addition to possibly just treating him like he was just a kid, I think he probably also treated him like he wasn't just Tom Brady. I know that NFL coaches, they want to just treat everybody the same and not play favorites or whatever, but this is Tom freaking Brady. And we know that the Patriots have had a history of not really caring about getting rid of anyone, regardless of your stature or your ability. And it seemed like Bill Belichick kind of had that same energy with regards to Tom Brady. And I'm not saying, you know, roll out the red carpet for him, call him the GOAT every time you see him, but you could just tell that most of the issues that came in was he didn't recognize the talent that he had in front of him. And I think that with him not really giving Tom Brady his props, I think that that kind of goes into treating him like a 20-year-old kid because I guess it's like not letting him relish in those accomplishments, not really recognizing what all this man has not only done for the Patriots, but your career. I mean, he plays a big role in the success that you've had, and you could say the same thing about him. But yeah, no, I could definitely see that being a thing just because it's not... Bill Belichick doesn't really seem like someone who... I'm not going to say he doesn't respect his players because I feel like he does, but I feel like he's not going to give you any special treatment. 
And so I think that he probably viewed Tom Brady realistically on the same level that maybe he viewed Jimmy G or maybe even Jacoby Brissett. He just saw him as another guy, which is disrespectful. But if you want to talk about someone who we all know is not just another guy, it's Lamar Jackson, who, as you mentioned earlier, had a very solidifying win against the Chiefs on Sunday night. So much so, for the first time in what seems like forever, Stephen A. Smith actually gave him a compliment. He said that Lamar is on another level, even another level from Michael Vick. Believable or buffoonery, Lamar Jackson has surpassed Michael Vick in terms of explosiveness. Believable. And I, it, I know that it's hard to say because, you know, the aura of Michael Vick and the amazing things that he's done on the field but I think that Lamar has done equally if not greater things on the field like sometimes the way that you see him run like it's a thing when you're a quarterback and you have wide receivers and running backs asking how did he do that like you don't think of that with the quarterback position you think of it as like okay you see somebody as elusive as Lamar you think, okay, that's a running back, or that's a receiver that catches a pass and gets yards after the catch. You don't think of it as your starting franchise quarterback. So in my opinion, I think it's true. I would find it believable as well, especially considering the age in which Lamar is doing it. We always hear defenses say they are faster, stronger, they're this and they're that. Well, Lamar is putting up crazy numbers against these faster and stronger and smarter defenses. And while when Michael Vick was doing his thing, he was amazing too, and we have plenty of defensive legends that we could go down the line of who he's playing against, Lamar Jackson is doing it and winning in a way that has been pretty immediate. It's only his fourth year in the league. He's made the playoffs every year. He's already a league MVP. And everybody knows that he's coming, but no one has been able to stop it. So in that regard, yeah, I was I would agree. I do think that Lamar has pa- surpassed Michael Vick, and it'll be interesting to see how he's able to evolve his game as his career goes on because as we saw with Michael Vick, he was able to kind of evolve himself into being a bit more of a passer, like when he was with Philly and Andy Reid. So I think that Lamar is going to be able to have to surpass him again in that retrospect to really get to where he wants to be especially in terms of being a quarterback long-term. All right, but let's talk about some Rob Gronkowski. You mentioned the Manning cast, which honestly, I really enjoy watching. And one of their guests this week was Rob Gronkowski, who was hilarious. Um, And one of the questions that he was asked about was watching film, to which he said that um, his teammate Cam Brate asked him, do you ever watch film? He said, no, I don't. I just run by guys. And then he made mention that he loves Tom Brady because he knows that he can just go to Tom and ask him who he's supposed to be facing. Well, apparently after facing that, he has caught a lot of flack. And he said in a recent interview to clarify, comment said, trust me, I watch so much film that my girlfriend gets mad at me. She freaking throws shit at me sometimes. I'm watching so much film. Um, I will probably blame my, our PR director, Nelson, over this. He asked me eight times to go on the show. I told him it's not a good idea. They always get me in that type of silly atmosphere, and that's what happened. Now, Coach... Coach Arians threatened me. I don't get my bet day anymore. So, believable or buffoonery, Rob Gronkowski really does not watch film. I think it's some belief to that. I mean, and the reason I say this is, when you've been in the league as long as Gronk, you 
film when he has to but in his free time I highly doubt he actually watches film just because we gotta remember Gronk was retired two years ago Gronk was just chilling and if you're expecting him to come back play with Tom Brady play on a winning team and just be 150% all in he's not gonna do that not to mention it's a much more lax atmosphere than it was in New England in New England I'm sure he had to watch film all the time but now I think he's just enjoying himself and pretty much just riding it out until Tom Brady retires because that's probably be when he'll retire too if not sooner so I think he was serious when he said he doesn't watch much film I think outside of practice he probably watches it I mean, he probably doesn't watch it, but when he's with the team, I'm sure he'll put it on. But continuing on with Gronk and the team, teammate, a wide receiver, Mike Evans had some strong words to say about Gronk and saying he's the best tight end of all time for a reason. Believable or buffoonery, Gronk has officially been named the best tight end in the of all time. I'm calling buffoonery. He's up there, but I, I can't put him at one. I say he's top five. I can't have him at one because it's a lot of great tight ends that have played. Like, in my opinion, the first name that comes to mind is Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates. You also have Shannon Sharp. You have Kellen Winslow. It's a lot of different names at that position that you could potentially put in number one. I will say, I think, the one thing I will say is I think Gronk, Gronk had the most impressive run when he was healthy before he amassed some of those injuries. I think he had the most dominant run over tight end in NFL history, maybe alongside Jimmy Graham. Which we'll also get to Mr. Graham in a minute. But, yeah, I, um, yeah I'm calling BS on that. Like you mentioned, like his run was amazing. Like when Gronk was good, Gronk was good, and he was incredibly difficult to stop. But there are other tight ends who I'll put ahead of him, like a Tony Gonzalez. Truthfully, head to head, if you ask me to pick between Travis Kelsey and Gronk, I would pick Travis Kelsey. Like just all time, I think that Travis Kelsey does more things. I think his game is much more nuanced than Gronk because Gronk is amazing, but Gronk is so much bigger than these other cats. Really all he has to do, you throw the ball up on a 50-50 ball, he's going to catch it and run over somebody or he's already in the red zone. Whereas Travis Kelsey is one of those guys who can really spread the field and for a time has really been his team's top option. And so while, of course, Gronk has done the same thing, I can't put him at number one. But I mentioned uh, Jimmy Graham, and we're going to talk Jimmy Graham. His days with the Saints, simply put, are legendary. However, we all know they came to an end after a trade. 
um, sending him to Seattle in exchange for center Max Unger changed things. He talked about that trade and said, I don't think anybody really benefited from the trade. You got a guy like Gronk who's been with his quarterback his entire career in the same offense, the same scheme. So for me, it's always one of those things where thinking about what could have been or what should have been with Drew is one of the most disappointing. Believable or buffoonery, had Jimmy Graham stayed in um, New Orleans, he would have gotten a Super Bowl with Drew Brees. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I think it's some belief today, simply because at that time Drew Brees was still one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and I think Jimmy Graham still would have been a dynamic weapon. I hate to say it, but when he went to Seattle, Pete Carroll used him in the wrong fashion, and it exposed him, and it kind of made him look like damaged goods. But him and Sean Payton and Drew Brees, they had a rapport. They had everything clicking. Like, he was on pace to break numerous of records when he played for New Orleans. And I think that they could have eked out a championship. Yeah, I'm going to say no. And I'm mainly saying no because around this time, this is when Drew Brees was throwing for 4,000 yards with ease. But their defense was terrible, and they didn't really have a run game. Things for the Saints between, what, 2011? Yeah, Beast Quake till about 2017. It was a whole bunch of 8-8, 8-8, 7-9, 9-7. Uh, like, it was a whole bunch of just flatlining. And while both of them put up great numbers – <clears throat> I don't think it would have been enough to really turn the tide and to make them into a real contender. Like I mentioned, changes to their defense, like getting Marshawn Lattimore and Alvin Kamara were really the spark plugs for that. So I'm going to call buffoonery, but I do think they could have broke a lot of records. All right, let's take things to the NFC East. Let's talk Micah Parsons, who had a pretty stellar showing at defensive end last week against the Chargers. So much so that Marcus Spears on Get Up ESPN said, Michael Parsons is a top 10 defensive player in the league right now as a rookie. This dude is unreal. Believable or buffoonery, Michael Parsons is already top 10. I'm calling mad buffoonery, but he has this, potential. This big count. Yeah, Marcus Spears, I understand you a former cowboy and you love him, but like, bro, don't buy into that hype. Like, I hate to say it because I'm a Michael Parsons fan, but I feel like he's the most—he's been the most overhyped defensive player in the past couple of years. Because it's like, if you look at his game film, yes, he had a good game against the Chargers at the end, but you look at the game film against the Bucks the previous week. He got ate alive by Gronk over the middle on numerous of occasions. You can't call him top 10 if you can't do simple coverage, man-to-man coverage. I understand that Gronk is one of the greatest tight ends of all time, but this is also Gronk when he's in year... He's, I don't know exactly what year Gronk is, but he's not young Gronk anymore. He's older Gronk. He's OG Gronk, and he got exposed. He's slower, and yes, I understand, like, he mentally knows the game, but Michael Parsons was a linebacker that ran a 4.39, and Grump was constantly running past him. I can't have, you know, a I can't have a quote-unquote top 10 defensive player get ran past by one of the slower tight ends in the NFL. 
I mean, not only Gronk, but I mentioned uh, when we were watching, both watching the game, the Bucks game, when the uh, Leonard Fournette was giving him that work too. Or that key yeah. third down catch where Micah was draped all over him, but Leonard Fournette out-muscled him to get the ball. I think the beauty of Micah Parsons is his versatility. He played very well at defense, uh, defensive end, and at linebacker had some good plays too. But just because a player is versatile doesn't mean that they're amazing. He may be one of those jack-of-all-trades tra- jack players where he can do a bit of everything but does not excel in one particular area. If I'm the Cowboys, I will use him at defensive end as much as possible because I feel like he could definitely become their best defensive player. He could easily become their best edge rusher just because I'm not sold on Demarcus Lawrence. But right now, no. I Hard no for me. All right, last piece, let's talk about the Giants, who Julian Edelman, former Patriots, so you know he has his thoughts on the Giants, but this time they were positive. He said, you have the fate of the whole organization, region, and team in your hands. I'm going with the bounce-back team in Giants. So, believable or buffoonery, the Giants are primed to bounce back from their current 0-2 start. This buffoonery, I think that the only way to take a bounce back from their 0-2 Dan Jones has to has to be removed as starting quarterback, and I don't know who their backup is, but I don't think that he's better than Dan, Daniel Jones. But I mean, being honest, when your quarterback is as turnover prone as Daniel Jones, you can't win games because he's throwing picks, he's fumbling the ball, and he's losing those fumbles. And then, like one minute, you would look up and he will make an amazing play. And then the next minute, he runs for a first down and, like, the slightest bit of contact, the ball just falls out. You can't overcome that as a team. Like, no matter how good your defense or the other weapons on offense are, if your quarterback turns the ball over at a high rate, you're not going to win football games. I won't even put everything on Daniel Jones, even though I do think that he's bad and needs to go. But I will say this, like, they just don't utilize the weapons that they have. You just gave Kenny Galladay all this money. He's easily your best wide receiver on the team. Why are you not using him? Same goes for Saquon Barkley. You're saying that he's healthy. You're putting him out on the field. Why are you not feeding this man who, if you all remember, is a former second overall pick? I feel like their play calling has caused them a lot of problems. Then to add on top of that their turnovers and then just the hot mess that was their game against Washington last Thursday. So I think that there are a lot of things playing against the Giants right now. And if they weren't in the division they were in, I would already be like their season's over. But because the NFC East is such a crapshoot, Anything could really happen. It really just matters who's not the worst team on the field that week. And I just think that for the Giants, while they have potential, I'm not sold on them doing the bounce back. I think that I think that this is going to be the year that they end up blowing everything up. But all right, let's go ahead and make our uh, week three game picks. First things first, congratulations to the uh, Panthers beating the Texans 24-9 Thursday night football. Honestly, I don't really think that was a shock to anybody, but it happened. So my Baltimore Ravens taking on the Detroit Lions. I got Baltimore. Baltimore. New York Giants versus the Atlanta Falcons. There are a few teams in this league who I think are worse than the Giants. The Falcons are one of them. I got Giants getting their first win. New England Patriots versus the New Orleans Saints. I want to say Saints. I should say Saints, but I think the Saints. Uh, I think the Saints' offense is going to struggle against New England's defense. So I'm going Patriots. I get Patriots. 
Cincinnati Bengals versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm saying Bengals only because I don't think that Big Ben is going to be able to play. And even though, let's be honest, Joe Burrow is going to get sacked because the Steelers have good edge rushers. But not having T.J. Watt is going to help out quite a bit. So I'm going to go Bengals with the asterisk of because I don't think Big Ben is playing. I got Steelers regardless of Big Ben players or not. I think they're relying on IG players. All right, so moving on to your favorite team. They are hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Pretty much the top two teams in their division, even with the Colts being 0-2. I still got Titans, regardless of Carson Wentz playing or not. Yeah, I got Titans. Buffalo Bills taking on the Washington football team. This has potential to be a pretty good game. It's kind of a toss-up, but I think I'm going to go Bills. I'm going with the upset. I'm going Washington. Kansas City Chiefs, speaking of wanting to get over an upset, they face the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm sure some people may have the Chiefs on upset watch. I'm not one of those people. I think the Chiefs win decisively. I have Chiefs also. Arizona Cardinals versus the Jacksonville Jags. I got Cardinals as Kyler Murray continues his MVP push. Very interesting game. Justin Fields getting his first career start against the Cleveland Browns. I still got Browns. I got Bears. Okay. Denver Broncos versus the New York Jets. I got Broncos. Broncos. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Miami Dolphins. I probably would have picked the Raiders anyway if Tua was playing. So I got Raiders going 3-0. Me too. Seattle Seahawks versus the Minnesota Vikings. These games are always interesting, but Russ is 7-0 against the Vikings. I think he goes 8-0 on Sunday. Yeah, I got it. All right, this is going to be a good one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Los Angeles Rams. This could really go either way, but I think I'm going to I think I'm going to stick with the Bucks. I'm going Rams. They don't. The Bucks secondary is depleted. And they have to face their trio of wide receivers. And um, Matthew Stafford, I got to go with the Rams. I would not be mad at that at all. I think that if the Rams were able to win this game, they would shoot to number one in a lot of people's power rankings, and rightfully so. All right, Sunday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers versus the San Francisco 49ers. I got Packers in a big win. All right, Monday Night Football, a game that everyone just can't wait to watch. The Philadelphia Eagles versus the Dallas Cowboys. I got Cowboys. I got Cowboys. All right, Ethan, what offensive player, defensive player, rookie, and teams are you watching and calling out? Offensive player that I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at Matthew Stafford. I think that this game, since the Buccaneers are so good at stopping the run, I think that this game is going to be solely placed on his shoulders. Also, the Buccaneers do have a really good pass rush, so I think there's some added pressure to him. And I think this is one of those games where it's like, that's why the Rams brought him there to win this game. Can he produce? Offensively, I'm going to say Odell Beckham Jr., his first game back since week five last year. We all know it. I love Mr. Odell. And with Jarvis Landry gone, this makes it even more imperative for Odell to produce because this is your opportunity to show 
Yeah, Baker and Jarvis have more chemistry, but I'm the best wide receiver on this team. I know it may be a bit of a slow burner just because he is just getting back, but I'm really excited to see what Odell does. So he's my offense player. All right, defensively, who you watching? Defensively, I'm honestly going to be watching the whole entire Seattle Seahawks defense. I think after the um, meltdown that they had against the Tennessee Titans, I want to see how they're going to look against the Minnesota Vikings. Like you stated earlier, these games are always interesting. They always come down to the wire. And I think that if the Seahawks defense lets them down, they're going to lose this game. I could agree with that. All right. Interestingly enough, I'm going to go Kevin King, Packers cornerback, who, let's be honest, we all know got burned in the NFC Championship, got burned week one, got burned week two, and he can't get burned this week, mainly because, let's be honest, Jair Alexander is probably going to be on Debo Samuel duty, which means that it's going to have to be somebody else on the receiving court for the 49ers to really step up. Is that Brandon Ayuk, who was hardly used last week, is going to be uh, Jawan Jennings, their rookie, is going to be Muhammad Sanu. Honestly, you shouldn't even have an answer because Kevin King, you brought him back. You're expecting him to be able to produce and shut down the left side of the field. He has to do better or he's going to end up getting benched or maybe even cut. Because let's be honest, the 49ers receiving core does not inspire much faith. So if he's getting burned by them, he's probably going to go. All right, what's work are you watching? I'm pretty sure we may have the same person. Uh, it's obvious. Justin Fields. It's his first start. Uh, he's going, I hate to say it, but he's going up again. Arguably one of the top three best pass rushers in the game in Miles Garrett. But I think the secondary of the Browns isn't that great, so their offensive line can keep Miles Garrett at bay. I can see him making plays. Yeah, I also got Justin Fields. Uh, what team are you calling out? I'm calling out the Los Angeles Rams. Even though I picked the Bucks to win, that does not mean I don't think that the Rams have a real shot to win this game. I think that because, like you mentioned, they have a great receiving core. Their offense has been clicking on all cylinders, and the Bucks secondary may not be able to stop them. I think that if you really want to put your name in that hat as a Super Bowl contender, these are the games that you have to win. I'm actually calling out the Green Bay Packers simply because I understand that they won um, in a dominant fashion against the Detroit Lions in week two. But the reality of it is, is that's the Detroit Lions. Like, the only, their only real competition, in my opinion, was the um, the New Orleans Saints. And they didn't look great. Like, in my opinion, it's 49ers team as a whole, they're complete. 
feel you on that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. First things first, congratulations are in order for J.J. Redick, who has announced his retirement from the league after 15 seasons. Ethan, are you surprised that J.J. retired? Uh, no. I, because I think earlier this year, earlier in his office, he said that if he wanted to go to a contender and then be, um, not the pay, uh, the Pelicans traded him to the Mavericks. And granted, the Mavericks, in my opinion, are a better team than the, uh, than the Pelicans, but he wanted to go more specifically to the Brooklyn Knicks. And yeah, once he didn't get sent there, I don't blame him. It's like, hey, I'm, I don't have a championship, but I've done everything that I can do in this league. Why not go home and ride off to the sunset? And he also has a really good podcast. So he has options outside of basketball already set in place. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like he could step foot on Duke's campus right now and somebody would give him a job just because he was such a legend there. But, yeah, I'm not that surprised either. I mean – it's not like anybody would expect J.J. Reddick to be a starter somewhere. Yeah, the Mavs are a good team, but he pretty much at this point, he was just ring chasing. He wanted to go out with the ring. The Mavs are a good competitive team, but are they in ring contention right now? No, and that's okay. I mean, J.J. Reddick, like you mentioned, has had a really good career, has a lot of opportunities for him outside of the game, so he's going to be fine. All right, talking about someone who's made the most of their opportunities outside the game, let's talk Shaq, who was considered to be one of, if not the greatest big man of all time. And he talked about the center position and said, the game is evolving. Us older big guys don't look at it as it's, at it's evolving. We look at it as soft because guys don't want to get down there and bang. So in your opinion, are the is the center a dying position? Do you feel like... The days of the league being dominated by big men are over, or do you think that it has a chance to get revamped at all? Uh, I think it has a chance to be revamped, but I feel like that the league will be dominated by centers that aren't in the old fashion of being centers. Like I don't think you're going to get the whole you play the game through the post. You have a dominant big who plays with his back to the basket. You're going to have guys that are versatile, i.e. So I'm going to put in a little bit of believable or buffoonery in a little early and talk about another great center, Patrick Ewing, who also had some comments about today's centers, where he said there's not that many great centers. I'd be the Michael Jordan in this era. It's definitely changed the way that teams play, the way that everybody spreads the floor. Most big guys now, instead of posting up, they want to get out there and shoot three. So believable or buffoonery, if Patrick Ewing to play today he will be considered the greatest big man of all time. Honor. Mad before. Because if you play today for one, the, the reason I, I hate to say this, but Patrick Williams fans realize he was one of the first big that was known for shooting jumpers. Like, yes, he posted up, but he was like 
it was more so known as having a mid-range game. But, and honestly, I think that he wouldn't be great because he still would have to go up against really good bigs. Like, people discredit a man that I just mentioned, Joel Embiid. Like, when he's healthy, and especially after this past season, he was dominating. He was putting up 30 a game. People fail to realize that the league's MVP this past season was a center in Nikola Jokic. Yes, his game isn't traditional, but he was able to dominate. And I also think that a lot of the bigs from back in the day, they're saying, like, oh, we would dominate, oh, we would dominate. But the reality is, is they would get destroyed because they won't be able to they won't be able to play defense in today's game. Case in point, you put Patrick Ewing in today's game. Can Patrick Ewing cover the pick can Patrick Ewing cover the pick and rolls like a lot of the bigs that are in today's game because he won't be as mobile? Is he gonna continually sag down sag to the paint when you have guys like Nikola Jokic who was shooting like thirty seven percent from three just rained down threes? He could potentially get played off the court. So I hate to say it, but I don't like no. Yeah, I'm calling the funeral on that too. Like you mentioned, I mean, so many, you know, so many big men are talking about what they would do in this era, really from an offensive standpoint. But they're not recognizing not only has the game evolved in terms of, like, the abilities of players, but the rules have changed. As physical as you could be in the post before, you can now nowhere be as physical then. So, like you mentioned, I mean, you be playing defense and you think you're doing a great job and you look up and you're getting called with the foul. You have to – and you could mess around and get fouled out when you're just playing what defense was – 20, 25 years ago. You were just doing what you were supposed to do. And then it's in terms of overall athleticism, the game has really evolved towards big men to where they have to be able to do everything on the court. You can't just go up there, post up, dunk on some players, get some rebounds, and be good. Because anybody can do that now. So, yeah, I agree with you. Even though Patrick Ewing is definitely a legend and an icon, I think that today's centers are a tech, are complete opposites for what they used to be. But I think that they had to change to evolve to what's going on with the guards now. Point guards aren't really just facilitators anymore. They're also shooters. They're also their offensive focal points. Like, everybody's positions are getting so blurred in terms of responsibilities that it's not just like everybody just shows up and does one specific thing anymore. And I think that's what's helped basketball stay popular because it's evolved with the times, even if everybody does not agree. But all right. We talked about him a lot before. We got to talk some more Ben Simmons because it seems like the drama just keeps coming and coming and coming. It all started on first take when Doc Rivers came on the show to talk the future of Ben Simmons with Stephen A. Smith where he actually said, we can win a title with Ben Simmons. I just believe that. He talked about trying to work things out with Ben Simmons' agent and said, there's times that I think we're getting through and there's times that I think that I'm talking to people who still believe Trump won the election. So I'm not sure, but I'm going to keep trying. Well, it seems like it the 76ers players are trying to, but it hasn't worked. Simmons has already reportedly checked out, and after players such as Matai Thibble, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris were in L.A. and tried to spend time with him, he told them, nah, I'm good. What do you think it's going to take for the 76ers to really just recognize that he does not want to be there? Trying, they're just trying to repair the relationship. 
whether it be I more so think they're trying to repair the relationship so they can trade them and he can get better trade value because we both know that when you in the market of sports once the um once the league knows that you have a star that's ready to get out they aren't going to offer you everything that they would have potentially offered you in the beginning where let's say the superstar wanted to particularly stay and you want to get rid of the star so because I mean being honest I think that I think just the just the um the times of Ben Simmons in the 76 uniform I think it's played out I don't I think they've ridden that horse as far as it'll go and I think it's time to find a new horse to catch a ride to and I think Ben Simmons knows, knows that also and honestly like I don't blame him like I trash Ben Simmons for not shooting but it's like I'm not a 76ers fan or am I in the 76ers organization like me and you both laugh at a clip of a newscast where a fan was doing a hurricane where a fan said all oh, this Ben Simmons being floating down the um whatever I forget like river or whatever yeah. after it flooded him and it's like this man like yes he's a professional athlete he gets the opportunity to play a game for a living and make a lot of money but it's like bro I don't care if I'm making millions of dollars I don't want to be I don't want to be in a place where people don't want me yeah. and it's all I think it's all where it boils down to yeah, I mean, nobody wants to be somewhere where they're just a punchline. Because a few years ago, Ben Simmons was seen as the future, but now he's literally a joke. And it's just like, what's the point? Let's be honest. Even if Ben Simmons did come back with the roster they have now, they're not going to win a ring. Because Ben Simmons did not fit in to what they do best. In the regular season, it looks good. It's fine. But in the grand scheme of things, they need shooters. They need people who can spread the court. They need a true point guard and Ben Simmons is not that cat and that's okay he can be that somewhere else I understand if you're Philly you want to mend the relationship but at this point he does not want to come back I'm not a Ben Simmons fan I never profess to be one but on in this stance I'm on his side nobody wants to be somewhere where they're not wanted soon as he goes back fans are going to clown him and it seems like all of this energy is coming too little too late where are y'all defending me in the playoffs because even um, when, after the loss, Doc Rivers was asked, do you feel like you could win a championship with Ben Simmons? And he was like, oh, honestly, I don't know. Like, don't say that in the moment and then as time goes by, you like you feel like you could win. No, you don't want me. It's okay. But apparently there are teams that do want him. Uh, several mid-major teams such as Toronto, Minnesota, Cleveland, San Antonio, and Sacramento who have all engaged with the 76ers about a potential trade. But apparently none have a perennial all-star player, which um, Daryl Morley is requiring. But of these teams, I'll go through them again. Toronto, Minnesota, Cleveland, San Antonio, and Sacramento. For the style of Ben Simmons' play, which one do you think will be the best fit? Uh, I probably, I think I would say San Antonio. And the reason being is I think that Greg Popovich could maximize his skill set in a way that other coaches haven't. Because we both know that, like, these aren't the spurs of old where they were anchored down by Tim Duncan. This is a, this spurs incarnation is a younger thing that likes to get up and down. 
think that the Spurs will be a really good fit. I think that, like you said, Coach Pop will be able to maximize him for however many years that Pop is still going to be in the league. Um, I would also say Minnesota. Honestly, no matter what team he joins, I don't think that he makes them exceptionally better. But I do think for Minnesota, he provides a really good defensive aspect, which is something that they've been lacking over the last few years. You probably have to give up D'Lo, which they keep saying they don't want to do. But honestly, that's probably what would have to happen. And I think there would be a really interesting uh, front court dynamic, where depending on where you put him, with him and Cat, as well as you throw in Ant, you throw in um, Patrick Beverly. I think that at the very least, Minnesota would be showing that they are at least trying to make steps in the right direction. And I think that for his what he likes to do and his ability to play, it wouldn't be a lot of offensive pressure for him because you have other players on the court who can score. So I think that that would really be the determinant factor for me. So I would probably say Minnesota. But all right, let's go ahead and play Believable or Buffoonery, starting off with Anthony Davis, who, let's be honest, everybody wants him to play the five, but he doesn't want to play the five. Uh, James Worthy, a Lakers legend, talked about where AD should play this season and said, I think the five is a good spot for him. I think he needs to look at the position best that best suits how they want to play. So, Believable or Buffoonery, this will finally be the season that AD sucks it up and plays center. Buffoonery. I think that his game is versatile as he is. He's just not physical enough to play the five. And he's not the physicality. He he gets hurt every season playing the four. So I can just imagine if he were to decide, like, hey, I'm going to officially play the five, like, he's going to get banged up. So if I were him, I wouldn't, if I wouldn't play. I wouldn't be down and banging with him. You know, big behemoths, if I could play the four, especially in today's day and age where most of our boys in the, in the NBA right now are kind of bigger, small fours. You have the occasional, like, traditional size-wise power four, but a lot of these guys aren't big anymore. So I, I think you definitely staying at the, five, at the four, I'm sorry. I agree, because, I mean... Would I rather be a mismatch for smaller fours or would I be about the same size, potentially smaller than Cats at the five? It's worked out pretty well for me playing the four. I would say at the four, too. All right, let's talk Sacramento, who we talked about it a lot when they drafted Davion Mitchell. How is it going to work with Tyrese Halliburton, um, De'Aaron Fox, and Buddy Hill still on the roster? Well, we may not know the inner workings of the team, but it sounds like they're excited to chest it out. De'Aaron Fox talked about the potential of a three-guard uh, lineup consisting of him, Halliburton, and Mitchell, and said, "For us, uh, we all want to play together. We know we can do. We know we can do it." OKC did a few years ago. Defensively, we know that this is what we are going to have to hang our hats on. In referring to OKC, he mentioned Dennis Schroeder. Um, CP3 and Shy Gilgis Alexander when they all played together. So, believable or buffoonery, Sacramento can make a three guard lineup work. I'm calling buffoonery. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put some stock into it. And the reason I say it is we already know who's going to be the lead guard. It's going to be De'Aaron Fox. Then you have Therese. Tyrese Halliburton, who is a capable shooter. The wild card, in my opinion, is Davion Mitchell because we don't know what he's going to look like in the NBA. Right. But if 
but even if he doesn't pan out as a great offensive player, if you bring, if you start him and just have him in the Patrick Beverly role as a hound of a defender, and you have Fox and um, Halliburton, I still think he could be a success. I just, I, I. I'm 50-50 on it because while we know that Davion Mitchell has a lot of defensive potential, which is like his calling card, who would you put at the three? Like, if you're going up against Kawhi Leonard, who would you really trust to guard Kawhi Leonard? Which of those cats would you trust to guard at the two, Paul George? That, and that's just looking at just one team. You could ask the same question with regards to the Lakers or the Nets or, hell, even the Mavs po- poised that same problem. And I think that while we've seen a lot of defensive, you know, great things from Davion Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, we can't necessarily say the same thing. He's been solid, but overall he doesn't have that same prowess. And same for De'Aaron Fox. He's an offensive weapon, but questions remain about his defense. And so I think that because size is also something in play, I think that while – you can make an argument for it working. I think that whoever the three was going up against them would just go off, would just have a field day. And I think that that could end up hurting them as opposed to trying to go a more traditional route. So I'm going to call buffoonery. Speaking of a three, we got to talk Andrew Wiggins, who COVID vaccines by the NBA have not been something that is mandatory. But in certain cities they are, one of which it being San Francisco. And it seems that Andrew Wiggins is totally against getting the vaccine. In fact, he went as far to um, try to get exempt from taking the vaccination for religious reasons, but was denied by the NBA. Uh, Stephen A. talked about the situation on first take and said the Warriors should trade Andrew Wiggins today, period. Believable or buffoonery, the Warriors have no choice but to trade Andrew Wiggins if he refuses to get vaccinated. I think they have no choice. I mean, if he doesn't get vaccinated, he can't play home games. And there's also other cities that have vaccination mandates. I know there's one in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, New York. Yeah. Brooklyn, I think New York, and if I'm not mistaken, Toronto, if they decide to, if they're playing in um, Canada again. I think they are returning to Toronto this season. Yeah, and I think if you aren't vaccinated in Canada, you can't return back to the country, especially if you are a Canadian. It's a weird rule that I just found out listening to a podcast. But, I mean, if that's the case, then if you keep them on the roster, primarily half, more, half of your games, if not a little bit more, he won't be there to be able to play in. And the Warriors are a team that have championship aspirations. So if he and he's one of the pieces that's considered kind of like a key piece. So if he's not able to play, and I don't think that the rules are going to change anytime soon during the season, if not ever. Why would you keep him on their roster if he's not if he's only able to play? You know, maybe I'm not going to say a quarter, but like a certain percentage of games and not all the games is yet. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I would trade him as well. I mean, I think that he did enough last season to be considered a solid trade piece to where you could get something for him. But because of his vaccination status, it is going to beg the question of, well, what team is going to try to pull the trigger on him? Because teams that 
um, have the same things as San Francisco, they're not going to trade for them. And then what if they're a team that frequently goes to those teams or plays in those arenas where you have to have uh, you have to be vaccinated? And then that even goes even further along the lines of what if every team goes back to where you can't step foot on the court or you can't play if you're not vaccinated? So it's like it's really just a hard spiral. And if I was the Warriors, I would try to get out in front of it before it get, got to the point where he's just not going to be tradable because nobody wants to just deal with the risk of him not being able to play at all. So, yeah, if I'm the Warriors, I mean, while he could provide a solid presence for you, I would just cut the ties. I would move on. All right, a couple more pieces before we move on from the NBA discussion. Let's talk to Trailblazers, who back in the mid-2000s really had a chance to be great. Brandon Roy was there, and of course they drafted Greg Oden out of Ohio State, who looked like the next big thing at center. Uh, so much so that Brandon Roy actually talked about how he believed that in 2007 the team would uh, win a ring. He said, I remember calling my dad, and he was like, how good is he? Roy said, we can win a championship. For the first time all of my life playing with him, I was like, we could win a championship. He was that good. So believable or buffoonery. Let's say the Trailblazers would have stayed healthy. Players like Greg Oden and Brandon Roy would be healthy. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge would be there too. Would the Trailblazers have won a ring? That's tough. Because I feel like Absolutely. And Lamarcus Aldridge was a really good piece. And he was up and coming. The only, for me, I would have to say no. Because we don't, I don't know what Greg Oden would have looked like even if he was healthy. Like, I understand everybody saying, like, and I, granted, I remember watching that Ohio State team that Greg Oden was on. I watched the Final Four that they played against Florida. Um, but... I think that we don't, it's hard to say like they will win a championship when you have such a big variable of, you don't even know how he translates to the NBA. Like, it's been numerous of players that dominated in college, and they looked amazing, and even players said, even players in the NBA said they looked great, but they still, they just didn't translate. So I have to say no. I'm going to also say no because I think that we also have to take into account the other teams that were popping at this time. I mean, you still had the Lakers. You still had to deal with the Spurs. And then at the East, I mean, the Celtics were a problem. The Do- I mean, not Dolphin, The Miami Heat were also a problem a couple years after that. I think there was just – well, like you mentioned, I mean, we don't really know what Greg Oden truly would have been had he played – more, but I think that considering the other teams that were going on, not to mention the Nuggets too, who were also, you know, great at that time. I mean, I think it was just so many other teams. I think they could have gotten far, but I mean, it's hard to really speculate on if someone would have stayed healthy, but I, I'm going to say no. Our last piece of believable influence, we're going to talk about Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie, I mean, not Kyrie, uh, Kyle Lowry has some interesting comments on the two-time NBA champion, when he said, no, three-time. Three-time? Yeah, he's a three-time champion. No, he's a two-time champion. Ignore me. Yep, two. 2014 and then uh, 2019. Anyway, he has some interesting comments about his time with Ka- 
Leonard, where he said, Kawhi rubbed people the wrong way because of the way he operates. He's like, yo, give me the ball. I'm going to get it done. You might be like, Kawhi, I'm open, but he's like, I'm going to get this bucket. You understand that he's the best player on your team. Big dog got to eat. So, a believable or buffoonery. Ka- Kawhi Leonard, low key, got some mamba in him. And not just the mamba mentality of being a dog player, but. He's got that, nah, you're going to give me the ball and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. There's no low-key about it. Like, I I remember, like, watching the ascension of Kawhi Leonard. And I remember one of the things, like, once he kind of reached superstar status, that a lot of the analysts and things are saying is, like, the only thing that he has to add to his game is being a playmaker and setting up his teammates. And he's shown flashes. But he, like, throughout the course of his growth, one thing outside of his defense that he's been known for is being a guy that's like, hey, just give me the ball and get out of my way, and I'm going to get a bucket. So I definitely think that it's believable. I find it believable, too, because I just think that once you reach a certain level of superstardom, once you become that dude to, like, Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry said, everybody knows he's the best player on the team, I think you kind of get an air about you. Like, he's not going to walk. Kawhi is one of those cats who's going to walk around and, like, talk the most smack or be the most expressive. But I think that he does have that quiet confidence of, you give me the ball, I'm going to make it happen. And he has good reason to feel like that because when he's had the ball, especially in key moments, he's made things happen. So, with that being said, yeah, I'm, I find it believable. And, I mean, I'm not mad at it. I think that some of the best players have an edge to them because would you want Kawhi Leonard to just be passive all the time? Like, no. Like, if he has the ability to do things that his teammates can't do, why would you have him not do it? That just doesn't make any sense. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk some WWE. All right, time for Extreme Rules 2021 predictions, which, fun fact, will be the first pay-per-view I will be seeing live. So that'll be fun. But for this, I will not be alone. I have a very special guest. I have the body, the AEW enthusiast, the CM Punk groupie, Jesse Bobby Heenan, (laughs) Ventura Falls, Jalen, the world is coming to an end. Hello. I'll make this be known. I am not. An AEW fan. I am a pro wrestling fan. You're an AEW fan. I have to clear that up. Are you sure? Yes. I don't know. You. you I have to make it be known. I am a fan of pro wrestling. But is it a fan of you? It's pro wrestling. No. I feel that. It's okay. I'm a fan of your work. I loved your work in um the Slappy Productions film where you died. What second? <laughs> Yeah, see, we're promoting Slappy Productions for great YouTube horror content. Gang, gang. All right, let's make Extreme Rules predictions. Liv Morgan versus Carmella, the battle of the beautiful, not natural blondes. I got Liv Morgan. Who you got? I also have Liv Morgan, but I don't think she wins this match clean. I think she gets help from Tony Storm to pull this one off. I like Tony Storm. She's going places. And shout out to Ethan, who is not going to be on this part, but taught me the word yamage as it relates to Tony Storm as you shake your head approvingly. All right. United States Championship triple threat between my ex-boyfriend, Damian Priest, Jeff Hardy, and Sheamus. I'll let you go first. Who you got? I have Damian 
Juice retaining because I just feel like it is it's his moment right now. They really seem to like him at this very moment in time, and I feel like he will be pushed to bigger and better things here shortly. But as of this pay-per-view, I have him retaining. All right, so speaking of liking things a lot, would you rather wear Vince McMahon's do-rag or have Vince McMahon give you a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship? A shot, not a guaranteed win, but you'd have a shot. So I get the physical do-rag? Yeah. Or I get a shot. Listen. The do-rag doesn't have any powers unless it's on Vince McMahon's head. Okay. So I will take that. Who's that, Biggie? Biggie or Roman, whichever you want to get murder you. I beat Biggie clean. I mean, I never said it would be like. You said it'd be clean. It would be clean because, you know, I'm going to (laughs) cheat. Okay, Eddie Guerrero. Thank you so much. You did. All right, SmackDown Women's Championship. We have my main girl, Bianca Belair, hoping to get her title back against Becky Lynch. Unfortunately, I think Becky's going to retain, which sucks because I just want great things for Bianca, but I think that those days for right now are over. So I got the man winning, unfortunately. But I would be perfectly fine with being wrong. All right. The man retains. You made it sound like you were going to like go in real depth right it there. It is. But it's not about this. The man retains, but not because she's the better wrestler. The man retains. She's going to cheat. Listen. Bailey's still hurt. Man retains. Bailey versus the man WrestleMania, I'm calling. Yeah, that's not a match I even kind of want. I could see it. I mean, apparently it was in talks for this year's WrestleMania. So, who knows? All right, keeping in the SmackDown swing of things, SmackDown Tag Team Championships, we got the Usos versus the Street Profits, two of my favorite tag teams, and actually not two of, my two favorite tag teams in the world. Who you got? You know what? I'm going to go on a limb here. I say, and new SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, I feel like, with the current storyline right now, that'll really add to it if the Usos drop the belts right now. It's really impressive that you said you go out on a limb because knowing how fragile yours are, I'm surprised you're willing to sacrifice them. So congratulations. I'm proud of you. You're doing great things, old man. <laughs> I'm going to say the Usos. I could see the uh, Street Profits winning, which I wouldn't be mad at at all. But I think the Usos end up pulling it out. And keep Roman happy, because Roman's got business to attend to, which we'll get to in just a minute. Moving on to the Raw side of things, the Raw Women's Championship, we have my queen, Charlotte Flair, going up against Alexa Bliss. It's cute Alexa's trying, but there's only one queen, and her name is Charlotte. And she don't play with dolls. She plays with championships. Bang, bang. I understand that, but I don't know. She's walking. Charlotte Flair is walking in the enemy territory. Alexa, this is from Columbus. So? This is in Columbus. I'm not from Columbus, so I don't have any ties. She's going to have the power of the bus. How many? Okay, but do you know how many people have, like, went into their hometown and lost? That's true, but how many of those people were from the bus? Not very many. I feel like Alexa Bliss 
with the power of the 614 is going to beat Charlotte at Extreme Rules. I like your confidence. I'm be mad if you're right. Because I, I don't hate Alexa Bliss anymore. Alexa Bliss right now is fine, but I want the queen to have a lengthy championship run. Put this on record. I don't like Alexa Bliss. I don't like her character. Hear me out, though. Not only is it on record, but it's recording right now. Oh, my gosh. Oof. I said it, but she's going to bring it back for the 614. Does the 614 deserve anything? Realistically. We deserve that title. Psych. <laughs> Speaking of titles and the main event, the only Extreme Rules match at Extreme Rules. It's for the Universal Championship. We have the Tribal Chief Roman Reigns taking on Demon Finn Balor. This has potential to be very fun and different and unique, but the ending is going to be the same as it has been for the past 360 plus days. Roman Reigns walks out as your Universal Champion. Wow. At least you get to see the Demon live, though. The Demon Finn Balor. He's not winning without the chainsaw. He's not winning without the chainsaw, but I feel like this match is bigger than both of them. Really? Is it because you're there? I mean, that's part of it. Of course. But I understand Roman Reigns is going to retain due to <clears throat> storyline purposes. But all of that is irrelevant. When the Beast, when the former UFC heavyweight champion, former NCAA national champion. Ooh, you're a groupie. Keep going. You know all his stats. Did you know he don't give a shit about your kids? He does not give a fuck about my kids. But when you're 6'5", 320 pounds, you don't have to give a shit about anything. That is a fact. Except getting your universal title back. Brock Lesnar returns at Extreme Rules and beats the shit out of Roman Reigns. I mean, he just returns. I wouldn't be that surprised by it. He probably will try. He'll try to beat up Roman, but Roman's going to be like, I'm tired. I want to go home. No. You don't know who he will beat up? Reginald. Become 24-7 champion. Add prestige to that irrelevant-ass title. They need to get rid of that. They should bring back the hardcore title like we asked for. No, they can't do hardcore anymore. PG era. And that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the xreport.net, our pthexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Old young man, do you have anything you'd like to plug before um, the show's over? Once y'all gone, since you're going to be on YouTube, go ahead. Subscribe to Slappy Productions. We have a new movie in the works right now. I can't really get too in-depth about it, but stay on the lookout for that. Ooh, look at you plugging the things. All right, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.